Welcome to week two of America on Trial. I'm your host, Josh Hammer, bringing you all of the latest headlines and digestible analysis that you will need to get through your day and feel more prepared as we gear up for this unprecedented and most litigation and lawfare riddled of forthcoming presidential elections, a rematch between Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. There is a lot going on right there, so without further ado, we're going to hop right into Around the Horn. We are gearing up for a huge oral argument at the U.S. Supreme Court this Thursday. This is the case technically out of Colorado. It is filed at the U.S. Supreme Court as Trump versus Anderson, but this pertains to the question of 2024 ballot access for Donald Trump. If you recall, there are those who are seeking to disqualify him from the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution, the so-called Insurrection Clause, a provision drafted in 1868 in the aftermath of the Confederate uprising. There are those pushing the highly tangentious and, I would argue, borderline disingenuous argument that January 6, 2021 can be construed as a Confederate-like uprising. So the justices are going to hear oral argument in this case on Thursday. The idea is that the Supreme Court will fast-track this ruling, and then, therefore, all the various states will ultimately abide by it. A lot of states are engaging in their own sorts of mini-analyses as to whether Trump is indeed disqualified. The Secretary of State of Maine has already reached her conclusion. Seems like it was a premeditated conclusion, if you ask me, but such is such is a day in the life of Donald Trump, the most hated person, or the most beloved person, but in many ways the most hated person in large swaths of liberal America. Anyway, We'll do a deep dive on the merits of that case in either tomorrow's show or on Wednesday's show, but want to flag for you that that is a huge, huge story that we're going to be tracking all week here on America on Trial. The question presented, lawyers will call this the QP for short, the question presented to the non-justices is, quote, whether the Colorado Supreme Court erred in ordering former President Donald Trump excluded from the 2024 presidential primary ballot. A really, really big deal. Look forward to going more in-depth on that one. Some big news on Friday out of New York State. So if you were listening to the first week of our show, you heard me mention time and time again that we are expecting a potentially imminent forthcoming ruling from Justice Arthur Ngoron of the New York Supreme Court. By the way, aside, a friendly reminder, New York State names their courts in extraordinarily confusing fashion. The quote-unquote Supreme Court in New York State is actually not the highest court in the land there in the Empire State. It is actually one of the lower courts. But in any event, we were expecting a potentially imminent ruling from Justice Arthur and Goron in this absurd fishing expedition, this fraud case of the Trump Organization being pursued in highly vindictive fashion by the Attorney General of New York State, Tish James. Well, Actually, it was just on Friday that Supreme Court Justice Arthur Ngoron there in New York State actually postponed the expected release of his ruling on what damages Donald Trump could be forced to pay for this fraud fishing expedition. So this actually caught many of us off guard. But if you go back to Friday's show, we were discussing the New York Times, the New York Times report of this potential perjury charge and plea deal with respect to Alan Weisselberg. Alan Weisselberg is a longtime CFO, chief financial officer of the Trump organization. He was in Trump's inner circle for a very long time, 
very, very, very long time, over the course of decades during Donald Trump's rise through the ranks of, of New York City playboy and New York City entrepreneur and just generally global, iconic, famous person. Alan Weisselberg was a person who was at his side for a very long time. And it turns out that due to some of the things that Alan Weisselberg testified in this case, in this case, Arthur and Goron's trial about Donald Trump's wealth and financial statements and this Tish James fraud fishing expedition, it turns out that because of some of that testimony that Alvin Bragg, if you remember that nut job, Alvin Bragg, the district attorney there in New York County, New York, in Manhattan, is considering perjury, and now Weisselberg is thinking about a possible plea deal. We discussed all that on the show on Friday. So it turns out that because of all of that, going back to the fraud trial, Justice and Goron is actually delaying a ruling. We were expecting that ruling potentially, potentially as early as this past Friday. I was speculating that it would come this week at the latest, but as of Friday, we have a lot of media outlets reporting that Angoron has formally announced that he's not going to finish his case by mid-February. So that will be coming up there in a couple of weeks. There's a spokesperson for New York State's Office of Court Administration, a man by the name of Alfred Baker, who confirms that the, quote, working timeline for Justice Angoron's verdict in terms of what damages Trump and the Trump organization are going to owe, that, quote, unquote, working deadline is now set for mid-February. So be on the lookout for that. It's not really a question, unfortunately, as to whether Ngoron is going to find the Trump organization guilty of quote-unquote fraud. They are. It's just a question of what the damages are going to be. Absolute sham of a trial there, unfortunately, when it comes to this fraud fishing expedition. Other news that happened just on Friday. Friday was a huge news day when it comes, actually, to the Trump lawfare drama. So in Washington, D.C., in the probably higher profile, you would say, of federal special counsel Jack, Jack Smith's two indictments. This is the 2020 election in January 6th related case there in the nation's capital. The district court judge in the case, Tanya Chuckin, formally removed from the docket the March 4th planned start date for the federal trial there in Washington, D.C. This is for the very simple reason, as we discussed on this show in our first week of America on Trial for the very simple reason that we are still waiting to hear from a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit when it comes to this interlocutory appeal. An interlocutory appeal is an appeal during the course of a trial in front of a trial judge that the parties make to a higher court. And the argument is that a higher court has to decide this threshold procedural question before the lower court can proceed with the trial or various other parts of the sprawling pretrial process. And in this case, this is the question of full-on presidential immunity. That hearing was held before the three-judge D.C. Circuit panel a few weeks ago. We are still waiting to hear back on that. They seem to be taking their sweet time. This move from Judge Tuckin to formally remove from the District Court's docket, the March 4th plan start date, was highly anticipated for that very simple reason that the DC that the DC Circuit panel has been taking its jolly time. Unfortunately, a lot of misinformation that I noticed on, on Twitter, on Instagram, on social media in general, a lot of people just botching this story. Guys, this case is not being dismissed. The only way this case could be dismissed is if Trump's sweeping immunity claim were actually upheld, not only at the DC Circuit, but in all likelihood after its inevitable appeal all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. The fact that Chuckin is removing the January 4th start date from the docket doesn't actually mean a whole lot. It's just confirming the obvious, that we still have a ways to go before she can begin this thing in earnest. 
it is going to get pushed back. Don't get me wrong. That is very good news for Donald Trump, for sure. The D.C. Circuit is definitely one of the cases where the left, what Andrew Breitbart referred to as a Democrat media complex, they are definitely putting a lot of their eggs in the basket of this Jack Smith probe in Washington, D.C., no doubt about that. So a delaying the start date is good news for Trump, but pending something unforeseen happening, it is just that. It's just a delay. It's not like this thing is getting canceled outright. So don't go ahead and get your hopes up any, any more than, than they need to be or anything like that. What this means, the delay, though, of the trial in D.C., is that it looks like Alvin Bragg is going to get his first shot at the apple. So this was the first of the four indictments to drop last year. This has to do with the so-called hush money payments to Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen, if you remember that whole— I mean, it's, it seems like a, something, frankly, that a Hollywood scriptwriter would write. I mean, all, all the interesting and some somewhat sordid details of this whole sort of thing. So, you know, interesting article drops on Friday, on Friday afternoon. Friday was, man, just a heck of a day for all these trials. Fun, fun article drops in the Washington Post on Friday. The headline of this article, quote, the runt of Trump cases now likely to be his first criminal trial. And the, the writer of this case, who does not exactly make any effort at all, you might say, to hold his cards hidden as to where his various sympathies lie, he's basically lamenting the fact that it is this weakest case, the so-called hush money case in Alvin Bragg, that is going to be the one that gets off the starting line first here, especially now that we have this delay in Washington, D.C., the opening paragraph of this piece by a Washington Post writer by the name of Devlin Barrett. The opening paragraph begins, quote, Of the four criminal cases, former President Donald Trump is facing charges filed in New York over 2016. Hush money payments have long been considered by legal experts to be the weakest of the bunch. You know, you can tell just how excited he is about that. I continue to think that this, by very simple dint to the fact that it is going to be the first to start, and probably from an evidentiary perspective, might be one of the more straightforward ones. There's no complex Sixth Amendment witness procedure or anything like that here. I think this is the most likely of the four to actually result in a verdict before the November 2020 election, which I am not even remotely convinced is going to harm Trump as much as the get Trump crowd would prefer. The fact that this case is so utterly frivolous, you can't even get legal liberals to defend it necessarily. I think this actually end up could benefit Trump, frankly, even if it results in a shoddy, half-reasoned-out guilty verdict. Speaking of the other prosecutions, just a friendly reminder here that there is a fourth prosecution here in my state, the state of Florida, that involves Jack Smith as well, the federal special counsel. This is the classified documents retention case. We are slowly, slowly working our way up here right now on the docket, the trial commencement date in Florida in front of the judge here, Aileen Cannon. That trial commencement date is currently set for May 20th, but a lot that has to be set before then. Next week, next Monday and Tuesday, you're going to have hearings in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case when it comes to what is known by some special lawyers as SIPA. This is the Classified Information Procedures Act. It is a congressional statute that goes back to 1980. Interestingly enough, it was actually introduced at the time by then-Senator Joe Biden, who had a longtime perch on the Senate Judiciary Committee before he became vice president and then ultimately president. 
it's not worth getting into the details of this statute right now, but for present purposes, just know that, as the name implies, it has to do with procedure, not with substance. It basically just has to do with balancing the the due process weights on both sides of the ledger when it comes to the introduction of classified information at trial. So there's going to be some pretrial hearings with respect to that very question in the Mar-a-Lago case next week there. Pre-trial motions are going to be due in that case, looking at our legal calendar coming up on Thursday, February 22nd. So we're slowly working up to some action there in Florida, still a little bit ways away at the time. By the way, speaking of classified documents, though, you might have forgotten that Joe Biden has his own classified documents probe. Funny how we tend to forget that sort of thing. If you go back to a little over a year ago, it was in January of 2023 that it really emerged that Joe Biden was illicitly keeping his own classified documents, both in his garage in Wilmington, Delaware, and in the very slush-fundy-sounding, you might say, global globalist slush-fundy-sounding Penn Center for Globalism and Diplomacy or something along those lines at the University of Pennsylvania. He was storing classified documents from his time as senator and or vice president in, in both locations there. So a report drops over the weekend from Alex Thompson of Axios. Seems like Biden's team leaked straight to this reporter, was my reading of this report, that Biden's team is concerned, they say. They say that he is concerned. Joe Biden is concerned about the special counsel in that case, a man by the name of Robert Hur, about his investigation into Biden's handling of classified documents and the report that is going to emerge potentially imminently, potentially soon from that very probe. The Axios article says that Biden's aides aren't expecting criminal charges to be filed, but they are concerned about possibly embarrassing details, including lots of photos there. You know, for many reasons, I actually thought that the very reality of this, these optics with Biden and his own classified document scandal, I actually thought that might prevent Jack Smith and Merrick Garland from going down the road of prosecuting Trump himself for his own classified documents scandal at Mar-a-Lago. Unfortunately, as we saw, that hardly slowed them down in any meaningful way. But we are also following what is happening here when it comes to special counsel Robert Hur who's oftentimes forgotten by the mainstream media with his own investigation, but suffice to say that Robert Hur and his investigation is not going to be forgotten here on America on Trial with Josh Hammer. So with, with all of that said, a lengthier Around the Horn segment today than we have had in our first week, but with all that said... As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on the first TV. Watch the first on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. Let's go into today's deep dive. And today's deep dive is on the topic that we did not discuss in Around the Horn, which is the case out of Georgia. Georgia, again, when these four indictments dropped last year, seemed to me and seemed to so many others like it was going to be potentially the most damaging of all four of the prosecutions there. You have a very blue county in Fulton County, Georgia. That is where Atlanta is. You have an ambitious prosecutor by the name of Fonnie Wilson. You have a very blue jury pool. 
You have a sprawling RICO statute. You have a number of, of co-defendants who could potentially even cross Trump and, and then maybe even testify him. Who knows what kind of plea deal some of these might take. You're talking here about not only some Trump loyalists, but some disgruntled former Trump lawyers and things like that. You have a governor in Brian Kemp and even a secretary of state in Brad Raffensperger there in Georgia who are not necessarily the biggest fans of Donald Trump, I think would be a polite understatement. So who knows what they could even testify at trial in this 2020 election-related case there. But, man, I mean, say what you will about Donald Trump, but the guy just gets lucky time and time again when it comes to having the best enemies imaginable in the world. I mean, E. Jean Carroll in the defamation case in New York City, absolute cartoon character of, of a human being. And the latest of Trump's enemies to out him or herself as a cartoon character appears to be the prosecutor there in in Fulton County, Georgia, Fonnie Willis. So it was Trump co-defendant Mike Roman, who initially, and he really did a public service with this, initially accused Fonnie Wilson of engaging in an improper romantic relationship with the special prosecutor who she had tapped to manage this whole racketeering case, especially against President Trump. That would be a man by the name of Nathan Wade. So it was Trump co-defendant Mike Roman who first alleged that not only was Nathan Wade being paid an exorbitant fee, over $600,000 in taxpayer funds for his work on the case, but that Fonnie Wells and Nathan Wade were actually romantically involved to boot. And the evidence was really starting to pile up for this. We saw some investigative reporters that brought to the surface that they had bought flights together to Miami and San Francisco and all these other enticing locales. And as, it, as the case may be, it comes up on Friday that Fonnie Willis, in a legal filing to Fulton County's Superior Court there in Georgia, oh, what do you know? She actually went ahead and admitted it. Turns out that she admitted that she began a personal romantic relationship with Nathan Wade going back to 2022, which is after they started being colleagues there. This is highly ironic because as many internet trolls on Twitter were quick to point out, Fonnie Willis, when she became the district attorney a few years ago there in Fulton County, she actually ran on something of an anti-corruption platform. There's this utterly delectable and highly prescient quote where she literally says, you should have someone who is a public servant who is not involved in, in, in romantic engagements with their colleagues and, and, and superiors and inferiors. And I'm paraphrasing there, but it's a close paraphrase. It's, it's really just absolutely astounding there. Fonnie Willis is arguing in these claims that she filed on Friday to Fulton County Superior Court. She's arguing that while the claims here, quote, were salacious and garnered the media attention they were designed to obtain, none provided this court with any basis upon which to order her removal and dismissal from the case. Uh, I would tend to disagree with that, to put it mildly. Well, we, we will see what Judge Scott McAfee, the Fulton County Superior Court judge who is overhearing all this, we, we will hear what he has to say in this scheduled upcoming hearing there on February 15th. In other Fonnie Willis-related news on a Friday, boy, she just had a doozy of a day on Friday there. This all went down after we recorded our, our show on Friday morning. This filing that she made about copping to the affair with Nathan Wade, and yes, it was an affair. Nathan Wade is in the middle of his divorce settlement. Like I said, guys, you, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, Trump just gets so lucky with the nature of his political enemies there. But this filing that Fonnie Willis made about her affair with now 
divorcee, Nathan Wade. This filing was made only hours after a, a subpoena was issued from Jim Jordan, the stalwart House Judiciary Committee chairman. He issued a formal subpoena of Fonnie Wilson, demanding documents from Fonnie Wilson's office following allegations that Fonnie Willis fired a whistleblower who tried to stop a campaign aide from misusing federal funds. So this is part of a broader probe that Jim Jordan and some of his fellow House Republicans launched in December, two months ago now, essentially looking into whether Fonnie Willis used federal funds in conducting her two-year investigation into Donald Trump. This subpoena of Fonnie Wilson that Jim Jordan issued on Friday is part of that broader House Judiciary Committee probe. So just to keep you track here, and there's a lot to keep track of, we have an upcoming hearing in front of the judge, Scott McAfee, in Unfilton County there on February 15th as to whether Fonnie Wilson should be dismissed from this case and whether the case should be moved out of Fulton County to another jurisdiction. You also now have Fonnie Willis being subpoenaed before Jim Jordan and the U.S. House Judiciary Committee. We will see what exactly that entails. And oh, by the way, at the same time, you had the Georgia State Senate about a week and a half ago that voted by an overwhelming majority, 30 to 19, I believe, was the roll call vote, to create a special committee with its own subpoena power to look into possible corruption and misuse of taxpayer funds when it comes to Fonnie Willis's investigation. So any which way from Sunday, any way that you cut it up, this case in Georgia is imploding right before our eyes. And going back to our legal calendar, recall that even as of now, the start date, the start date, at least the estimated start date for that trial, before all this really started to take off, was for August, was for early August. So for the very simple reason, sometimes we, we tend to overanalyze the legal nuances of this, for the very simple reason that you just can't deal with all of these things at once, all these various hearings, subpoenas, this and that, this might get delayed even further. So you are really lucky once again right now if you are Donald Trump. The two most potentially politically damaging of these four prosecutions are the, are the two election-related prosecutions. That would be Georgia and Washington, D.C. The case in Florida is interesting because it does appear that Donald Trump straight up ignored a grand jury subpoena. You can't do that to put it mildly, so he could be in some legal water there for, for other issues. But when it comes to the political ramifications and what could really damage him at the ballot box, from my estimation, it is the two election-related cases, Georgia and Washington, D.C., that stood to do the most potential damage there. And, wow, Friday was just a great day for the foreign president when it comes to possible further delays in both of those ongoing prosecutions. We hope you enjoyed this episode of America on Trial with Josh Hammer. Once again, a reminder, if you're not already doing so, go ahead and subscribe to our show. Leave us that five-star review and definitely tell us what you think in the comment section. We're a young show and eager to hear your feedback. I'm Josh Hammer. We'll be right back with you tomorrow.